Well, hello. How are you doing today? I hope everything's been going well for you this past week. Hope that you enjoyed Melvin last week. And uh, he's going to be uh, sharing this time with me on and off. And I just thank the Lord for him. And I pray that you would uh, give an ear to him. And uh, take time to learn. Uh, He's a good teacher. And I want to just allow you to know that he cares about you. And some of you are listening that we may have never heard from. uh, But we do want you to know we care about you because God's word is for you. And what we want to do is deliver God's word into the hearts of those that God has intended for the message to reach. We know everybody will not give us an ear. But those who do give an ear to us, our prayer is is that you would receive the living word of God and give thought to it. Everything we say, we do the best we can do to search it out, to study it. But somebody will always have a different view, and that's okay. Because that's what the word tells us. Iron will sharpen iron as we discuss these issues and these matters that are spiritual and that are important to us. But what I want you to know is that Melvin and myself, we do the best we can because we don't want to make a mistake or mislead or teach error. Our desire is to teach the truth of this word and what we find in this word And our prayer is that the Holy Spirit is the one who's leading us. And we're just not doing this for filthy lucre, but we're doing it for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I just want to encourage you to give us an ear. And that uh, to know that we do this out of the love for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for many who may come into his kingdom and into a new life in Jesus Christ. So uh, we know this, as the word goes forth, it will not return unto the Lord void. It's going to accomplish what God wants. And that's our will, that God's will be done through the teaching of his word. What we're going to be looking at today is this. Can we rush our time? Can we hurry death? Alone. Now, I know some people will say God's a sovereign God. You you can't rush anything. He's already set a date for everybody. God knows everything. He is omniscient and there's not anything that he doesn't know. But there's things we don't know. I think one of the things that we need to understand is this. God has numbered our days. But the question is, is this. Can we shorten that time? By our behavior, by our actions, by the things we do. If I'm a person who is constantly using drugs, that was not God's intent for me to use drugs. Now he know that yes, who is going to use drugs, and he knows that drugs may take me out of here earlier than what, in a sense, he had planned. 
because he has given us a certain number of days. I don't know how many days he's given to you. I don't know how many days he's given to me. If I look at Psalms 90, it tells me three score and ten and then even maybe ten more. We can use that as somewhat of a standard, a general, but not a specific for everybody. So we want to ask this question, can we rush our time? Can we do things that would cause us to die earlier than expected or what God had numbered for us? Can we somewhat rush this thing along? And that's the challenge that we have to look at today. Because we need to be aware of that. Because I don't think people today are looking that my days are numbered. Um, we live as though we're never going to die. And we get, as they say, all the gusto we can out of life. We start our day sometime without even giving a thought about God. Or we go through the whole day without a thought about God. Or who causes us to breathe? Who really gives us life? Who's watched over us? Who's taking care of us? In that accident I could have been in, but I just missed it by seconds or by minutes. Whose timing was that? See, uh, as a believer, I don't go along with luck. I go along with God. That God knows everything is going to take place in a day. And he knows what my life is going to be like. And he protects me from those pitfalls. And uh, he's always in control of everything in my life. Even causing me to be late for something because there's going to be an accident and I'm not to be in that accident. And yes, that's not saying that some point long in life I won't have an accident. And and uh, But the thing is, I believe God in his own sovereign will somehow orchestrates our life and then the question comes can we rush death on can we be doing things that are outside the will of God that would cause death to come earlier to us and I understand that for some as martyrs death came at an early age death came to them in an unexpected time, per se, but God used them. Now, there's a difference of God using you, and you have lived out your number of days and have been used by God, and that you are taken out of here by somebody else's sin, not your own. And my question is, can you hurry death by your own sins, by your own behavior, by the things that you do that could bring harm or death to you? And that's what we want to kind of look at today if we can. Have you ever really given thought of how many people die in a day? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your loving kindness unto us. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the giver of life. And yes, Lord, you know when life will end for each and every one of us. 
Death can come at an unexpected time, but it doesn't take you by surprise. And Lord, we pray that you'll give us understanding, that Lord will have a little bit more knowledge, will have a little bit more wisdom on how to live this life. And Lord, we thank you for the life that you give us each and every day. But one day, Lord, as your word declares, we'll be absent from the body and present with you. And Lord, yes, you are taking us away from here one by one. And Lord, you're the one still over this whole thing. But help us, Lord, to be wise in our everyday choices of living. Because the wages of sin is death, and you do not put an age or a time on it. But we also recognize those who live in sin, constantly living in sin, live a shorter life than those who live holy and live a life pleasing unto you. Statistics says that Christians live longer than those who do not know the Lord. I don't know where those statistics come from, what people they may have talked to, but Lord, I pray that your word would bear it out and we'll give you praise and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 10, 6, the Lord says, he gives us an example <clears throat> and that because of what happened to Israel, that we would be careful about how we're living. And sometimes we're not. We take life very haphazardly. We, we don't take it very seriously at times. And we don't really watch the places we go and the things that we do. And the Lord says, yes, we have a freedom to go and do anything. But is it profitable for us? Is it expedient for us? Is it good for us? And I know some people argue, we, you, you just can't stay home, sitting home behind locked doors all day. And that's not what I'm saying. We need to be able to be out here, living life, touching the lives of others. For no man liveth unto himself, no man will die unto himself. We are a people who were created to socialize with one another, to be with one another. But the days are evil. People are evil. There are things happening today that you and I need to be aware of and use wisdom in where we're at, where we're going, what we're doing, what we're drinking, what we're taking or putting into our bodies that could harm our bodies. We need to be aware about it. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 6, he's talking about Israel and how many died in the day because of their sin. And that's the thing that I really want to somewhat bring our attention to, that they died because of their sins. And I believe many people today die 
because of their sin. And life, they could have lived life longer if they were not involved in this or that. If they were not taking drugs, if they were not drinking the alcohol. And I'm not saying don't drink, but some of us, we really know that we drink excessively. We drink more than we should. We don't even, we don't just endanger our own life. We endanger the life of others. We shorten our own life by the damage that we do to our own bodies with alcohol and drugs and even with the overeating issue. We shorten our days. How many may die early because of their own sin or own neglect of taking care of their bodies? Or by the sin of others who are angry and who go into a rage as the young man did, who went and just plowed his car into a parade and a number of people died. Not so much as something that they did, but something that another person did. Violence is in the home. How many people are perishing because of violence that takes place in our homes? Children who die at a young age because of a upset parent or, or, or how many men get mad at their wives or this and that and want to do bodily harm to them and kill them. Uh, these things are taking place. And somehow... We hear them on the news, we read them in the paper, and some of us know people who have been affected by these things, and they can be our brothers, our sisters, they can be our cousins, they can be someone who live in our neighborhood. But as long as it doesn't really happen to me, I don't give much thought to it. And that's what I want to try to raise the attention, that your life is nothing but a breath. And are you ready at any moment to give an account of your life before a living God? And we should live in such a way that we're ready to give an account to God for our lives. Because we're going to stand before him and have to give an account. Now, if death come prematurely, let it not be because we bought it on ourselves. It has to be because somebody else did something to us. Not because we were not being people of discernment and using wisdom, knowing where we're at, staying away from certain things, staying away from certain places, that we're not putting ourselves in danger of death. And though it's going to come, and sometimes it comes unexpectedly, the question still is, are we ready to give an account for our life? How many of you are aware <clears throat> of how many people die in China a day? 
some say something like 29,718 people die every day in China. 29,718 people die in China every day. In a week, that's 460,000. Um, kind of grows pretty quick. Did I do my math right on that? I'm sorry. That's in a year. Then in India, it's 27,873 a day. 27,873. That's China and India. Two of the largest populations in the world. Then the United States. Estimated at 8,159 people a day in the United States die. Given a total of those three countries, and that's not all the countries of the world, this is just three countries, 65,750 people die a day. In a week now, it's 460,256. And in a year, between those three countries, Approximately 23,933,000 people die. 23,933,000 people die in a year. Now the question is, how many of them may have died before their time? Before the allotted time that may have been given unto them? Was it rush? Was it hurried alone that death came quicker than expected and that's hard for any of us to say about another person and sometimes we will say of a person boy they died before their time they were all so young because in one mind we expect everybody to live until they are up in their senior years and then somehow it's okay to die but James tells us also that we fall into this problem. But let's look at 1 Corinthians 10.6 and then we'll go to James 4. Because in 10.6 he says, Now these things occurred as an example. The things above, what took place in the history of Israel. As they were moving from Egypt to the promised land. He said, now these things occurred as examples to keep us. Keep who? Keep us. So he's talking about a present day. Now you may say, well, he wrote that, oh, thousands of years ago. Yes, but still relevant today in the thought in which he's going to express. It is a warning to us to keep us from setting our hearts on evil. It's a warning to do what? To keep us from setting our hearts on evil. Sin will shorten our time. And that's the thing that we have to be aware of. That sin will shorten our time. 
the wages of sin is death. And he says, from setting our hearts, that we're just bent on doing the wrong thing. We're not designed to do what is right. But we're designed to be disobedient to God's word, which can then rush death in our lives. We can experience death before God desired time for us to die because of our evilness and because of the sin that is in our lives. To keep us from setting our hearts on evil in things as they did, do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, or an unbeliever, you're worshiping something else other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, don't be an idolater. Not that you're not worshiping something, but you're not really worshiping the one and true God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan rivalry. They got up to do all the wrong things. All the things that they were free to do under whatever type of immoral lifestyle that they were living or their false teaching would allow them to do. Oftentimes we forget the Temple of Diana was a place of worship, but it was also a place of prostitution. And more men were in church maybe at that time, if we could say it, than they are today because of what was taking place in the church or in the temple there. He says, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan rivalry. We should not commit sexual immorality. Sexual immorality can cause you to shorten your life. Certain diseases sexually can shorten your life. As some of them did. And in one day, listen to this, in one day, 23,000 of them died. Out of that 23,000 who died, did they all shorten their life? Did a couple of thousand of them shorten their life? How many people by their behavior shortened their life and did not live all the number of days that God has set before them because of their behavior and how they chose to live? Then in James, he helps us to recognize how important it is that we acknowledge God. Because oftentimes we'll get busy in life doing one thing, running from one thing to another. And we're just often at it, never recognizing that God is the one who gives us the strength and the power, the wisdom, the knowledge 
the understanding to do what we do. And somehow we take it for granted that this is our own learning. This is what I went to college to learn. And this is what I do. And this is my experience that has taught me so much. And somehow it's so easy to take God totally out of the equation of our life. Rather than to understand God is the key to it all, and God is the one that allows it all to take place. And the reason he allows that success to take place in your life is really for his glory. And there is that success that can choke you to death, and there's that success that can ruin every part of your life because you're only after success for self. And a lot of people who are successful have lost wife, children, a happy home. Yes, they're very successful in a business. They're very successful financially, but they're bankrupt in other areas of their life. And God would have you to be successful in such a way that you have peace and joy with your success. And money does not bother you. It doesn't bring misery into your life. Money doesn't bring sadness and unhappiness into your life. And money can do that if you allow it. And he goes on here in James, because this is what oftentimes we forget. If you go with me to James chapter 4 and pick up with me in verse 13, he says, But, but rejoice. Rejoice in that you participate in the suffering of Christ. Oh, I'm in Peter. I got to get over here to James. So I'm just reading a little bit different than what I thought. James chapter 4, 13 and 14. Now we're doing a little better. Yeah. He says, now listen. Isn't that strange how God sometimes starts off something? He says, now listen. And he wants your attention to this. He wants you to understand it. Same. And that's why he's saying, now listen. Sometimes when you talk to your kids, you tell, are you listening to me? That's what God is saying at this moment. Are you listening to me? He says, now listen. You who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there. Carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. You're making all these plans. And the Lord says, why? You don't even really know what's going to take place in your life tomorrow. You don't know what's going to take place the next hour or two. You just don't know. What he's emphasizing is this. You're doing all these plans and you're saying where you're going and what you're going to do. But you haven't included him. And none of these things could you do without him. And we often forget that. And that could hurry death along. Because we're living life without him. We're making all these plans without him. And he says, and he asked this question then, 
What is your life? Really. Sit and really ask yourself that. What is your life? What's the real meaning of your life? What's the purpose of your life? What are you really living for? You need to ask those three questions and then write yourself something down. What is the real meaning of my life? What's my principles, my values? What do I really stand for? What's my real purpose in life? What am I really trying to accomplish? And why am I trying to accomplish this or that? We need to ask ourselves some important questions sometime. Because God says, what is your life? He says, you are a mist. Something that is there for a moment and then it's gone. Like that steam that comes from when you're cooking. You see a little steam sometime come out of the pot when you got a cover over it. But it's only there for what? Just for a moment. And God's comparing life to that, to that mist, to that little vapor, to that little bit of steam that you see just for a moment, and then it's gone. A mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, now, he may, he brings in this correction for us. Listen now, listen to what he said, because he said, do I have your attention? Are you listening to me? Are you hearing me? And he says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. If it's God's will, I'll make this trip tomorrow. I'll go to Columbus and come back safely. If it's in God's will, I'll do that. There's nothing wrong with making plans. God is not saying don't make plans. But don't make plans without him being also involved in the plan. Without him getting the praise and the glory for enabling you to even make plans and to do that thing which you are desiring to do. God's provided. And oftentimes we don't even thank God for how he's provided for us to even go on a vacation. I wonder how many people have gone on a cruise and never said, Lord, thank you for the provision that you've made in my life that I'm able to take a cruise. How many jump on a plane? Lord, while I'm on this plane, keep us safe. May we arrive to our destination safely, and may we return home to our families safely. How often do we forget to say or to bring God into our plans or into our actions, into what we're doing? And that's what God is saying. You can cut your life short because you leave me totally out of the picture. And... He said, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now, somebody's going to say, well, that's true. Okay, if it's God's will, he already know what he's going to do with my life. Yes, he does. But he also gives you the ability to go beyond what maybe he has planned for your life based on how you're living and your behavior and your involvement with him. Instead, you ought to say, it is the Lord's will. We will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. It's evil. Why? 
because God is totally left out of the picture. And you and I need to come to a place that we really bring God into the picture. Now, let's take one of the examples that he gives us. That he tells us even in the Ten Commandments to honor our fathers and our mothers. But in the book of Ephesians 6.13, he gives us a little bit more with that. And it's something that we really need to take heed to. In Ephesians 6 and 1 through 3, he says, Children, obey your parents. Now, he doesn't put an age on it. How many of you are 50 years old or older and you obey your parents? I had a, the privilege of having my dad live with me for 10 years. My dad lived to be 97 years old. And um, one day he called me into his room because he wanted to get something out from under his bed that was in one of those little plastic containers. And um, he called me in and I'm somewhere in my 60s at that time and these knees were not the best, but to him, I was still a young kid. And he's telling me, get on down there and get that thing out from under the bed. <laughs> and uh, getting down there, getting up wasn't all that easy. I'm leaning on the bed to get down and leaning on the bed to kind of raise myself up. But to him, I was still his child. And he, to me, was still my father. And he asked me to do something. And that I did. And the scripture says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Then he adds this little phrase to it. This is right. It is right to be obedient to your parents at any age. Especially when they're not telling you to do anything wrong or harmful to yourself or to them. Or to break the law. It's a blessing to be obedient to your parents. Even though you may be 25 years old, 30 years old. It's a blessing. A lot of young kids frown today when their parents ask them to do something. And they're 18, 19, 21. It's like, you're not supposed to bother me. But the children oftentimes forget. They're still the children of the parents and the parents is requesting them to do something now it's the behavior that comes behind that how the child might behave and react and the scripture says it's always right to obey your parents and then verse 2 he says honor your father and mother or respect them highly. Even as adults, when your father and mother ask you to do something, it's not that they can make you do it now, but it comes out of honor and respect for them that you obey them and you do it. 
And he goes on and he says now, which is the first commandment with a promise. Now listen to the promise. He said, if you honor, if you highly respect your mom and dad and you do what is right when they ask you to do something, he says, here's a promise. Now, either this promise is true or it's false. Either this promise can add days to your life or it can shorten your life. It's doing one or the other. He says, this is the first commandment with a promise. In verse 3, that it may go well with you in life because you're obeying mom or dad. And you're an adult. He says that it may go well with you. And that you may enjoy long life. What kind of life? Long life, not a short life. He says long life. So if there's a long life because you are being obedient to mom and dad, there could also be a shorter life because you're not being obedient to mom and dad. Can you catch that? Can you see that? That if the promise is a longer life, a joyful life, a happier life, because of your attitude and your behavior and your respect and honor to your mom and dad, no matter what your age might be, that your life can be joyful and long, or it can be saddened and shortened. That's something to think about. That's something to really take a moment and think about. Go to Ecclesiastic 9.12, Ecclesiastic 9.12, because it's going to help us see some of the time in which we're living. He says in 9.12, Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. We don't know when death is going to come. We don't know when our time or what our time really is. The psalmist says uh, we need to pray and ask God to help us to number our days or do those things that are right that may lengthen our days in a sense. But in 9.12, he simply says, Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. A fish are caught in a cruel net. That fish didn't set out that day to be caught in a net. Um, it was just one alone minding his own business. Boom, there's the net. He's in it. Or birds are taken in a snare. That bird didn't take flight with the idea, oh, I'm going to be caught in a snare. But it happens. And then he goes on, he says, so men are trapped. Now, now, I want you to take note of what he says here, because it's so enlightening, and it brings about your willingness to use wisdom and knowledge and discernment to somewhat be aware of these things. He says, so men are trapped by evil times. Evil times. Are you discerning the times? Do you see these days may be more intense 
more filled with evil and wrongdoing than ever before? Some say because we have news, we, we get it quicker now. We, these things have been happening. Yes, these things have been happening. But have they intensified? Are they happening more? Why? Are we seeing things happen more than what would say be the norm or what usually would happen? He says, so men are trapped by evil times. Question to ask yourself, are we living in evil times? That's something to think about. That fall unexpectedly upon them. That fall unexpectedly upon them. None of us plan to be walking down the street and a drive-by shooting takes place unexpectedly. None of us expect to go to a parade and we're sitting out there with our loved ones and our children and somebody just run their car up through the crowd of people unexpectedly. None of us expect to go to a show, a theater, and somebody just takes a gun and start shooting unexpectedly. We didn't go to the show expecting somebody to show up with a gun and just start killing people unexpectedly. That fall, evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them can shorten our days in a sense. And we need to be aware of that. Also in Ecclesiastes 7.17, just go back over a page and listen to what he says. Do not be over wicked. What is over wicked? Boy, we're involved in so much today. Are you involved in so much sin and filth that you are doing more than, how can I say it, the average person? Or are you living in such a way that you're just constantly in sin and evilness? Is your mind just stuck on things that are evil? Is your mind just stuck on sex? Is your mind just stuck on having a man? Is your mind just stuck on having a woman? Is your mind just stuck on having money? Is your mind just stuck on the wrong thing? Do not be over wicked. And do not be a fool. Why? Is it the fool in his behavior and his action? Or can any of us play the fool at some point in time of life? And he says, do not be a fool. A fool can cut his life short by his action or behavior. And he says, do not be a fool. Be a person of wisdom. Be a person of knowledge. Be a person of biblical truth that 
know what the word says and so forth. Uh, help yourself to be alert to those things that are wrong and evil and, and that are not really good for you. Help yourself be aware. And he says, do not be over wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? Boy, that brings on a lot of thought. Can I die before my time? According to this verse, I can. Why die before your time? That's that's the question that is being asked in a sense. Why die before your time? Because of your foolish action. Because of the foolish things that you do. Why die? Because many of our actions and the many friends that we have and some of the places we go, they are places that endanger or could cause us to die and not return home that night. Can we shorten our days? Can those days be shortened? I think the scripture helps us to see that they can. And the question again is, why die before our time? If God has set a time for us to die, why die before then? You say, well, God won't let you die before your appointed time. Well, Scripture is saying, no, you can die before your appointed time. And that can trouble some of us. And even God can cut things short for us. Go to Psalms 102, verse 23, because in our disobedience to him, and I want to share this with the Christian, you can die or shorten your days because of your rebellion or your foolishness, how you choose to live this Christian life. Not in obedience to God, but you're trusting in grace, 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 and forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. And yes, God will forgive us. But there in Scripture it says there is a sin unto death. Yes, what would take place? when I'm doing what I know I should not be doing and death comes. It's an outright warning in scripture not to do this, but I'm involved in it and death come. Have I shortened my time? So in 23 and 102, Psalms 102, take note of this, listen to it. In the course of my life, he broke my strength. He broke my strength. Who did it? God did. In the course of my life, he broke my strength. Look what else he's doing. He cut short my days. Rather than lengthen my days, he cut short my days. He didn't give me long life. 
He cut my days short. Why? Because of my disobedience. And God will not be mocked. And we need to understand that. Now, I don't know the number of our days, and I don't know how many days he's given me or how many days he's given you. Um, I don't know that. But I do want us to at least take note a little bit of Psalms 90 and verse 10, because it gives us just a little bit of knowledge of the number of years or days in which we may live. And again, I would say this is a general statement being made. It's not specific towards everyone. But I believe if life is being lived in such a way that is pleasing to God, you may surpass these years based on God's seeing how you're living, what you're doing, the way you're behaving and acting, and how you glorify him. He says, in Psalm 90, in verse 10, he says, The length of our days is 70 years. King James says three score and ten, so that's 70. And <clears throat> there's a lot of people who die before they even get close to 70. Not here trying to say why people died. They died out of the Lord or in the Lord. There have been Christians who have died also before they reached the age 70. And I understand that. But scripture does tell us that here's something we can look forward to. The length of our days is 70 years. Then he says, or 80 if we have the strength. If we have the strength. My question is this. What gives us the strength? Who gives us the strength? Who's given us the knowledge to strengthen ourselves for this journey late in life, past 70? He doesn't remove all the troubles because as we grow older, we all know one thing. These bodies are more troubled than ever. So he says, yet their span is but trouble and sorrows. For they quickly pass and we fly away. Death finally comes to us. But as long as we have life, as Job says, a man born of a woman will be troubled all his days, no matter what his age might be. What season of life he may be living in. There's always this trouble and there's always this evilness that has to be dealt with in our presence that we don't be entrapped by it or allow it to shorten our days. Now, we move and we have our being in God and somehow we need to acknowledge that, that I live and move in the presence of God. And he's the one who gives me that strength. He's the one who gives me life. Go to Acts 17 with me in verse 25. 
he says, <clears throat> let me get my eyes focused here. I like to pick up in 24 because it gives us a little bit more understanding. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. God isn't living in our church buildings, in our uh, places of worship. You know where God's living at? Right here. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, it tells us we're the temples of God. We're the temples of God. And we need to take that very seriously because it helps us to formulate how we're going to live when we understand God is dwelling in us. And I thank him for that. That he lives in me. He's not an absentee landlord of that which he owns. He owns this vessel. And if you're a child of God, he owns you. And he lives in you. And how are you living? Listen to what he says. Let's go on a little bit. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needs anything. God doesn't need anything from us. God doesn't need anything from us. For God to be God, he doesn't need my love. Oh, he deserves my love. He deserves my loyalty, my faithfulness. He doesn't need it, but he deserves it. And it will be a privilege for me to extend my love, my service, and all that I am to him. Based on what he has done for me day after day after day after day. And what he did for me on Calvary. He says, because he himself gives all men life and breath. And everything else. He doesn't need anything from us. But we need everything from him. Everything that we can receive from God, we have need of. And he simply says, he needs nothing from us. But we need everything from him. Everything. Now, man is nothing but a breath. A breath away from death. And oftentimes, we don't look at it that way. But I want to bring it to your attention. You could take your last breath tonight, this very moment, this next hour. Go to Psalms 39.11. Look at what he says. You rebuke and discipline men for their sins, 
Remember, the wages of sin is death. Can our sins cut our lives short? And I would suggest to you, if you're a person constantly in sin, you're cutting your life short. But look at what else he says here. You consume their wealth like a moth. God does. Consumes their wealth like a moth. You have money, but you don't have any money. But then this last part of this verse. Each man is but a breath. Each man is but a breath. Life for you is simply the the moment you stop, you're gone. You're gone. You're no more. You're history. You're past tense. The moment you do not take that next breath, you're gone. And that's what he's trying to relay to us here. Each man is but a breath. You're just a breath away from death. And are you ready to give an account for your life? Are you shortening your life? Or are you lengthening your life? Let's end up in Psalms 78. Because in these couple of verses, we're going to see something, I think, that can be amazing to us. So in Psalm 78, verses 32 to 39, he says, In spite of all this, they kept on sinning, talking about Israel. All that God has done for them, And you can go back through starting in 78 and reading it and so forth. But he says, in spite of all this, all that God has done, they did not recognize it. They did not acknowledge it. They did not praise him for it. And reminds me of my life before I really came into a true knowledge and understanding of God. I just got up in the morning, went to work, went about my day, not knowing who was watching over me, who was protecting me, who was giving me wisdom and knowledge, who was giving me favor, who was opening doors, who was shutting doors. Boy, doing so much and yet being unaware of what he was doing. And we do that in life. We live life not being aware of God being active in our life, even before we come to a saving knowledge of him. And he says, in spite of all this, they kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. In spite of what he did, and they were able to see it, they would not believe. The things that you've heard, the things that you've seen, who don't believe. Can you imagine people today who don't believe in COVID? They think it's still a hoax. And my wife was sharing with me that she heard there's a new strain of this out in America now that has come from Africa. Uh, 
This is the third strain of this thing called COVID that it keeps changing. And yet people say, that don't exist. That's just a hoax by the government. That's just some false information the government has given you. Boy. And they don't believe. But catch this. Because they don't believe, they put themselves at risk of dying from COVID. And are they cutting their own life short? Are you cutting your life short? Because you refuse to take the shots? Boy. Something to think about. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. So he ended their days in brutality and their years in terror. Whenever God slew them, they would seek him. After people would see a mass of people dying, then they would run into the temple. And we did that after 9-11. Or we even said pray in school, even after we passed the law that you couldn't pray in school. Now we got everybody praying. In. And he says, whenever God slew them, or when some crisis really takes place, then the whole world wants to pray. We all want to seek him. But look at what scripture says about that. They would seek him. They eagerly turned to him again. And boy, they remembered that God was their rock. For that moment, during the crisis, during that terrible time in life, all of a sudden we're calling upon God. As a hospital chaplain, I've heard so many people who wouldn't even say the name of God, but boy, when they heard the doctor said, that their loved one had expired. Oh God. Oh God. Oh God. Then we hear God's name mentioned. Oh God. They remembered that God was their rock. After the crisis has come. God is my rock before the crisis, during the crisis, after the crisis. That God most high was their Redeemer. He's my Redeemer before the crisis, in the crisis, after the crisis. He's the one who redeems me and keeps me. But then they would flatter him with their mouth. Oh, Jesus said, yes, they say, Lord, Lord, but their hearts are far from me. But they flatter me with their mouth, lying to him. With their tongues. Have you ever lied to God? I won't sit here and say to you. I haven't said to God. God if you do this. I'll do that. And, and fail to do it. I think we've all done that. But we need to be aware of it. And ask for forgiveness. And then come back. I don't have to make promises to God. God just wants me to live out his word. If I live out his word, boy, that would be more than enough for him to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ever ask or think of him.
if I'm just obedient to his word. And he says, they come with me with these flattery tongues, with lying on their lips. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Oh boy. If he would have destroyed them, would he have cut their life short? Would he have caused them not to live out the number of days that he had maybe have planned? Boy, that's something to think about. Yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities. What would happen to you if God would not forgive you of your sin? Would your sin cause your days to be shortened? And did not destroy them? Time after time, catch this. Time after time, he restrained his anger. And did not stir up his full wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh. Now catch the next words. A passing breeze. Just a breath. Just a breath. Just a steam, a vapor that is seen for a moment. You're just a passing breeze that does not return. You're going to die one time but can you rush it or can you prolong life that is something you have to deal with you have to think about you have to ask yourself how are you living are you living in such a way that prolongs life or are you living in a such a way that shortens life Something to really think about. And look at your own behavior. Look at your own life. And ask yourself, are you shortening your life? Or are you causing yourself to live longer? Because you're living in obedience to a living God. And just because you're obedient to God, doesn't is not a... Large guarantee I hear that you're going to live longer because God has already numbered your days. But I want you to be aware of this. Is it possible that you could shorten your days and not live out the number of days that God has appointed for you? Boy. Father, we want to thank you and praise you for your word. And as you said, Lord, when we started off in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, that these things were done for an example for us, for a warning to us, that many people died, 23,000 people died in one day because of their disobedience, most likely, to you and shortened their life. Help us, Lord, to be thoughtful of what we're doing, how we're behaving, 
how we're living. And that, Lord, that we would live in such a way that our days may be lengthened. And that, Lord, we may have a life. That, Lord, that is not cut short because of our own sin. It may be cut short because of a Hitler. It may be cut short because of someone else. It may be cut short by someone else's sin. But let it not be our own personal sin that cuts our life short. And Lord will give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. And I hope you don't think this as a doom days message or anything in that way, but as a way to really look at your life, how you're living it, and are you living it in such a way that really glorifies God and lengthens your days. Amen. God bless you. See you next week.